The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, I want to start with a report today that house prices could become more affordable if we reduce the size of public spaces and gardens on housing estates. It's a proposal by a house builder called Glenvay Properties and they have made it to the government who are considering potential planning changes. So, would prices really come down if developments were smaller? Stephen Garvey is Chief Executive of Glenvay Properties and he joins us on the line now. Stephen, a very good afternoon to you. Tell us about this proposal. Thank you, Ian. Yes, uh, this proposal, we've made it to government and I suppose this stems from what we're seeing on the ground out there today. So at, mo- at the moment, outside of the M50, we have to comply with density standards of 40 units per hectare. And these standards came from the National Planning Framework in 2017. And what that means is to comply with 40 units per hectare, we have to put 55% two- and three-bedroom homes in it, and 45% have to be one- and two-bedroom apartments. And when we looked at the costs that were occurred by the apartments, the apartments are costing us so much to deliver that the people who are buying the two- and three-bedroom homes are subsidising. So from that, we carried out a study to see how we could equalise it. And what we learned was that the person buying the two- or three-bedroom apartment, they were getting about six square metres of private open space, and the person buying the three-bedroom home was getting 60 square metres. So what we did was we equalised the private open space to be 40 square metres across across all units, and all units became owned or. And by doing that, by reducing the, by eliminating the apartments, we were able to reduce the cost of the overall development. And I suppose we put the study out there, and what we would say to anyone who wants to question the study, this is available to everyone. This is for the land development agency to use, the approved housing bodies, the local authorities, SME builders across the board. If you look at the comparison that we've put in the documents where you look at the density that we have to put on today with the regulations that are required today versus what we're proposing where, for, where all of it will be owned or housing, the costs do drop by 20%. Okay, so the trade-off is it's all houses, there's no apartments, but you are going to be living on top of your neighbour. No, that's not going to be the case. And I suppose what we've done is we've gone out and looked at best principles across, uh, across Europe. And I suppose what we realised quite quickly was UK had actually amended these standards uh, a number of years ago. If you think about the separation distance between houses of 22 metres, which is the the minimum that is required, and in some situations we have to go up to 30 metres to comply with private open space, these were standards that were implemented in 1918. They go way back to then, and we've never looked. And I suppose the problem that we've had is when when those density guidelines were implemented in 2017 from the National Planning Framework, there was no alternative but to put apartments and houses together. And I suppose the downfall of that was that the cost of producing the apartments on suburban sites was so expensive versus producing the house. What ended up, what is happening actually out there in the ground is the person who is buying the two and three bedroom home are subsidising the cost yeah, of I know, producing the apartment. The distance between the back gardens will shrink because you will have less of a back garden and people will be on top of each other. There's greater density. So you'll have the neighbours overlooking you in front of you, on the back of you and on each side. But, but, but we're, we're, we're proposing reducing it by just one third. I, I don't think that's going to make you just... And, and the, the ironic thing is when you look at these standards, the local authorities have actually, in some situations, amended these standards themselves when they're doing their own planning applications. And where we actually realised this was we, we did a development in Greystones in Marina Village where the local authority actually reduced the distances between houses themselves. They actually reduced that down to 12 metres. So we took that study away and said, well, if the local authority can do this themselves, 
why can't the overall market do it across the board? And I suppose the thing is, if you look at front-to-front on housing, the distance between front-to-front is less than 16 metres. In some scenarios, it's down to about 10 metres. So because we, we have to operate under an act called the Moors. So if, if from front-to-front we have 10 metres, why can't we reduce? We're not asking it to be reduced to the same quantity but reduce it to a certain... And, and I think everyone is getting obsessed here with, with we're looking to reduce back garden. We're actually looking to increase the overall private open space across the development. So the person who's living in the apartment that is only getting six square metres now ends up getting 40 square metres. I think that's far more equitable for people across the board. OK, so take us through then how much potentially would be saved. And also, why would costs come down? Surely developers will just say, look, let's just pack them all in. But go back to the point I just made, Ian. This is not just for Glen Bay. This is for the entire sector. The people who can really benefit from the study that we've put together is the approved housing bodies, is the local authorities, is the land development agents. If the cost of producing the apartment is way more expensive than the house, this benefits everyone. This just doesn't benefit Glen Bay. How much, of a saving the would the, how much of a saving would you get from this trade-off? We, we think there could be up to 20% in the difference of, of cost. That's where we've seen it, because the cost of producing, and just to give you an example of this, the cost of us producing a two-bedroom home, 800 square foot, with 60 square metres of back garden, versus the cost of producing a two-bedroom apartment, 800 square foot, there is about 100% in the difference in cost. That's simply just what we're seeing out there. The cost of producing the apartment is so much bigger than it is to produce the house. And that's why when we looked at the study, that's when we looked at the study, we looked at the UK. Why had the UK moved so dramatically over the last number of years? Because they had the same problem. The cost of producing the apartments in their suburban sites was driving up the overall cost of producing the house. You know this, Stephen, from working in the industry a long time. The big fear will be standards change, regulation change, and you end up with shoebox size homes to add to the shoebox size apartments that we have in this country. And people who buy them or people who rent them are the ones that suffer. And, and this is why we try to, if you, if you think about the benefits of what we're proposing here today, that everyone on the development would have 40 square metres as minimum private open space. Not just a few, everyone. The second big benefit from this is the management cost that those apartment people, those people living in the apartments would pay is now gone because they're now living in all own-door product. And the third huge benefit to this is there's a universal use out of all owned or housing because people can potentially upsize it into the future by giving everyone 40 square metres. If someone wants to build on an extension or add to the house, by providing 40 square metres to every house, you can now do that. So okay. instead of just 55% benefiting, 100% now benefit. Okay, Stephen Garvey, Chief Executive of Glenvay Properties, thank you very much for joining us. Dr Rory Hearn, lecturer in Social Policy, Minute University and also Housing Policy, policy Analyst. What do you make of Glenvay's plan? Yeah, it, it's interesting to see Glenvay come forward with this now. Um, and I suppose the starting point is that We do need more dense development in our urban spaces. People know that. We need to try and, you know, minimise car usage and we need to get the best use of land as well. Um, And the thing, though, I think the concern that I would have is, you know, we've had a big reason why we're in the housing crisis is that policy, housing policy, has in large um, part followed what developers and increasingly over the last six years or so investor funds have sought and if we look at the example of um, apartment sizes you know apartment sizes were reduced in 2015 2016 
um, by the then then uh, Minister for Housing, Owen Murphy. And that was recommended by the construction industry developers, investors. And what we've seen since then is apartment prices have not reduced. Um, and we've seen this huge increase in the build-to-rent development where large institutional investors are buying up, you know, most of the apartments that are being built. And so my concern is that this is part of another moving from apartments to now houses kind of race to the bottom in terms of maximising the number of units that go on to a site that can essentially go to developers' profits. Is it not worthwhile, Rory, risking, you know, part of the garden? It's not exactly a country that gets 12 months a year uh, hot weather. Is it not worthwhile sacrificing part of a garden to get more houses in? I do think it is definitely a proposal that is worth looking at. I, I think that we do need to look at, you know, how our planning guidelines are influencing, you know, for example, uh, Stephen mentioned in terms of the apartments that are being built that are required essentially to achieve density. I do think there's an issue in that, that we should look at how housing units can be designed in a way that meets density requirements. We know that is possible, um, but part of the issue what Stephen is ignoring or not <laughs> choosing to tell us is that When you change these guidelines and it means more units can be built on a site, what that does is it increases the value of that site, of that land, which pushes up land prices. And Glenvey and many developers hold and own very significant land banks. So getting such a change would actually increase the value of their land. Now, I'm not saying Glenvey is doing this just to increase the value of their land. Um, but that would be one of the outcomes. And so the question, if you look at around the country, for example, um, in places like Cork or Galway or Limerick or Waterford, what such a change like this could mean is actually it would push up land prices because developers could get more units onto the land. And so that potential cost reduction that Stephen talks about would be wiped out by essentially landowners gaining that, um, that value uplift. The question, and, I put, sorry, the question I put to Stephen as well was, look, when we have seen standards change in this country, and you referenced them there about apartments, it usually doesn't end up well. It's the track record of the industry is a problem. I, I do think there is a real issue in... Making policy according to the private industry, the private development. Oh, he did industry. say this is open to land development agency and for the government as well to do. This he did, affect- and, and he also said that local authorities are already doing this. And so, you know, the guidelines don't need to be changed to enable the land development agency, local authorities to look at how they can provide more dense housing. You know, the concern is that we are we have seen, and as I've said. Essentially, housing policy has been all about what, how can the market be incentivized, how can developers be incentivized, and this is another one of these measures where developers are saying, look, this is what's needed, and we will build homes, and they will be cheaper. But yet, there's been no evidence that housing is made cheaper as a result of changing guidelines to suit what developers are saying, because as you said yourself, they're in this game that they call it as a business. They want to maximize the return. So if you reduce garden sizes, all you're going to do is see the um, house sizes and those gardens reduced. It won't reduce the cost of housing that's actually sold to the home buyer. Um, and what it could lead to is, is, as I said, increased profits okay. to developers. For me, it comes okay. back to no, Rory, what role the 
Sorry, yeah, we, yeah, we, we're running out of time this item. I do know, I so hopefully another day we can return to this because we're getting a lot of reaction. Dr. Rory Hearn, thank you very much for joining us. Just want to bring you one text on this. All this is intended to do is increase the return on investment for developers while increasing prices and reducing simple amenities for house owners by reducing light, space and privacy. The biggest problem we have is that developers are building houses for single people and forcing couples and families to live in these bird cages. As for saying the size of garden hasn't changed since 1918, I beg to differ. My aunt's house in the 1970s in Limerick has two and a half times the size of the garden in my 1990s house. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-